Welcome to Glass Houses, a Billy Joel podcast. I'm Michael Grosvenor. And I'm Jack Frenino. Join us as we dig deep into Billy Joel's songs and history and what his music has meant to us. Welcome to episode eight, everyone. In just a few minutes, Jack and I are going to discuss Billy Joel's Greatest Hits Volume 1 and 2, which was released in July of 1985. But first, we wanted to share something special with you all. On Monday, May 11th, Billy took part in a very special virtual telethon in support of New Yorkers impacted by COVID-19. The event was called Rise Up New York, the Robin Hood Relief Benefit. Billy closed out the show with a very special solo performance of Miami 2017, Seeing the Lights Go Out on Broadway. And we wanted to share that with you here. To date, Rise Up New York has raised over 115 million and counting. If you'd like to contribute, you can find more information at robinhood.org. So without further ado, here's Billy Joel with Miami 2017, seeing the lights go out on Broadway. I've never been more proud to be a New Yorker. And I can't think of anyone that personifies that New York talent and spirit better than my man and international talents, but a New Yorker born and bred, my friend, my brother, father to my godchildren, Della and Remy, the piano man himself, Mr. Billy Joel. Go out on Broadway. I saw the Empire State lay low. Life went on beyond the Palisades. They all bought Cadillacs and they left there long ago. They held a concert out in Brooklyn. To watch the island bridges blow They turned our power down And drove us underground But we went right on with the show Seen the lights go out on Broadway. I saw the ruins at my feet. You know, we almost did not notice it. We see it all the time on 42nd Street. They burned the churches up in Harlem. Like in that Spanish Civil War The flames were everywhere But no one really cared It always burned up there before Go out on Broadway. 
saw the mighty skyline fall. The boats were waiting at the battery. The union went on strike. They never sailed at all. They sent to carry out from Norfolk and pick the Yankees up for free. They said the Queens could stay. They blew the Bronx away. They sank Manhattan out at sea. lights were bright on Broadway But that was so many years ago Before we all lived here in Florida Before the mafia took over Mexico There are not many who remember They say a handful still survive To tell the world about The way the lights went out And keep the memory Stay strong, New York. Please wear a mask. And that way you won't catch any fish from anybody. Billy Joel's Greatest Hits Volumes 1 and 2 is almost as much of a landmark in his catalog as his seminal 70s and 80s releases. The double album, featuring a short-haired Billy in a black-and-white picture from the 80s, is almost as common in people's record collections as such classic albums as Glass Houses or The Stranger. Released in June of 1985, the album featured songs from 1973's Piano Man through 1983's An Innocent Man. It came out as a stopgap before the bridge and at a time in Billy's life when he was much happier at home. He and then-wife Christy Brinkley had just married in March of that year, and soon their daughter Alexa Ray would be born. Meanwhile, the album served as an end cap to an important phase of Billy's work as a musician. He would later say that the Bridge album was so named because it was the bridge to the next phase of his career. That record, and the ones that followed, would feature different musicians, different styles, and different producers than the records that came before. And while it was a retrospective, Greatest Hits Volume 1 and 2 also added a few new songs to Billy Joel's canon, which turned out to be hits in their own right. We'll talk about those songs in this episode, along with the different versions of Greatest Hits Volume 1 and 2 that have come out over the years, some of the different versions of popular songs it contained, and more. 
I think it's funny that we're about to dedicate an entire episode just to a greatest hits record. I mean, as we've seen so far, just about any topic, there's so much to mine out of it, even a record that we've heard a million times. And that record is made up of other records we've heard a million times. There's still a lot to say. The way this album was initially sequenced, it's a very different listening experience. I found myself going back to my original vinyl copy of the album and uh, the different edits it contained and things like that. It just brought me back to a a time when I was discovering these hits when they uh, came out on this collection. Yeah, it was so convenient back then to have a copy of this. If you didn't have all the albums yet, it just served as a signpost for maybe the next one you were going to get or you would at least have a good idea what was going on. Now you've got an iPhone or even an iPod still and can take your entire collection with you. Back in the day and family road trips and things like that, you didn't really have the luxury of taking your entire (laughs) collection of cassettes or CDs with you. Greatest Hits 1 and 2 was for sure with me every time I traveled. Yeah, that was a regular in my walk, man. I loved having like that many songs on one cassette. For sure. This was one of the longest cassettes I think I ever owned because it was, you know, two records set. I think it was maybe even further expanded for the cassette version and you're looking at almost 110 minutes or so for this one cassette which is pretty great yeah well i'll tell you what though um i'm just about positive yeah the cassette had less on them because a friend of mine had it on cd and so he had like captain jack and scenes from an italian restaurant and i didn't have those on my on my version that's true the the cd definitely was the most expanded of them all and that's something that we're going to dig into a bit because as we've been comparing our versions and going through the release notes and things like that there's been a few different formats of this collection over the years yeah i would imagine you know the cassette i'm going to bet you the cassette thing just had something to do with how much time they could fit on a side and you know they used to do that stuff where they used to to resequence an album sometimes so that you didn't have all that extra um dead space at the end of a cassette side a little silliness like yeah with format length you know cd again being longer you could fit 78 80 minutes on a single disc you know if you have it on two discs you're able to even further expand it with songs that got left off the uh, cassette and especially the lp version yeah i wonder just as an aside if they're going to do greatest hits albums anymore if everything's on spotify is it going to become playlists like we ever know that's a uh... good question i wonder where the industry is with it when you look at the billboard charts though some of the things that are still charting to this day are greatest hits albums probably thanks to streaming and iTunes and everything. I routinely am seeing Greatest Hits 1 and 2, Journey Greatest Hits, Eagles Greatest Hits, all these big best of and Greatest Hits albums hitting the charts, you know, 20, 30 years on. I mean, some of them were iconic in their own right. You know, the ones we made some notes on for reference for this one was Simon and Garfunkel's Greatest Hits from 1972, Eagles Greatest Hits from 76, and Elton John's Greatest Hits from 74. Now, of those, I believe the Simon and Garfunkel one was the only one that had different songs on them or different versions because I had a couple uh, live acoustic versions like Homeward Bound wasn't... Let's see if we can do this from memory because, man, I wore this one out. It was uh, Homeward Bound, Feeling Groovy. I have to look at it. (laughs) But those were... If you just had that album, you... Oh, and for Emily, wherever I may find her. They were live versions that weren't on any of the records, so that was sort of the impetus, I guess, for that one. I mean, from listening to my my dad especially, you know, he said that and um, Bridge Over Troubled Water, those were just, you know, perennial into and through the 70s. People just kept buying and listening to those. And as you get, you know, the 70s into the 80s, this is when album sales really, really boomed. And I think part of that also was big format changes. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, you had 8-tracks still hanging on in the 70s. Uh, Vinyl records were still very popular in the 70s and 80s and then you had cassettes come up in the 70s 
and very, very strong in the 80s. And then in the right. 80s, you had CDs. So as these new formats came out, you'd have people, myself included, mm-hmm. buying the same album three and four times every time <laughs> it came out in a in a new format that was growing. Did you ever buy albums like at the same time, like cassette and, and record? Or was that just as you were updating? I think it was strictly vinyl until 84, 85. And then I moved to cassettes and CDs kind of overlapped. Yeah. I don't know if it was ever simultaneous. I know yeah. probably within the same time frame, I would buy the same version, mm-hmm. you know, the same album, different versions, but yeah. I don't think I ever did go to a store and buy like two copies simultaneously. Yeah. How about so, you? No, you were always a collector then. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, so, it's always so funny because we do this over Skype and then uh, uh, as we're getting set, I see Michael rifling through like three versions of an album that he has like in his hand. And I'm simultaneously jealous and I'm like, no, no, don't show me it. I want the audience to, to hear my surprise and, and delight when I see them <laughs> pop up on screen. I mean, I was always whatever I could find and usually whatever was cheapest. But that's how I started buying records in the 90s too, because they were dirt cheap. You could take oh, three yeah. bucks yeah. And, uh, and make a killing at a thrift store or I can get a nice clean one at the, at the bookstore uh, near my high school. You know, CDs, when they first came out, were super expensive. And so I remember it took a while for the CD collection to grow. You know, by the time the 90s, in mid 90s hit it was you know the price came down significantly but Mm -hmm. 80s and 90s you know it was kind of like you know records are now you know where it was like 20 bucks a pop or more Mm -hmm. so i i think cassette or a used record was probably the most affordable you know medium at the time funny enough i think the only artist i may have like really upgraded was actually simon and garfunkel Mm -hmm. just somehow over time i had amassed just about all their albums on cassette like i used to buy them in like rite aids and stuff and then uh when i was in my early 20s as cd prices were starting to come Mm -hmm. down as an aside, I remember the CD bubble peaking uh, when I worked at Tower Records in Philly, mm-hmm. 2001, 2002, and they were like $18.99, like $20.33 after tax. And I remember that because it was always somebody would like throw down a 20 and then get mad because they had to find change for it. But, uh, oh, but right. yeah, so Simon and Garfunkel was actually, and I've gone back and I've almost got them all now. So I had them all on cassette except Wednesday morning, 3 a.m., the first one. Then I had them mm-hmm. all on CD. And as of recently, I just picked up Sounds of Silence. So now I just need Wednesday morning, 3 a.m., and I have have like the whole collection there too oh so, yeah there yeah. you go so there you go i'm, I'm, I'm on to you <laughs> little by little <laughs> it's funny you mentioned purchasing simultaneously i noticed that i'm doing that now because metallica has found a way to release fun and cool things to their fans like yeah. they've been re- reissuing their catalog the last couple years and mm-hmm. g- the garage days ep got reissued on orange vinyl mm-hmm. black vinyl picture disc and cassette wow there you go so there's like four copies and cd as well mm-hmm. and what they actually did with the cd which i thought was genius it was released in a long box i was gonna bring up the long boxes when you were talking about how much it used to cost oh man that was like early 90s those went away but you know why that was the case though right the the whole long box thing right it was just like waste it was actually designed for retailers because from the 80s into the 90s is when the shift started to happen from vinyl records to CDs. Okay. Record companies would manufacture the albums in long boxes or record stores would put them in fake plastic long box kind right. of thing so they could still fit them in the same display area as records. Oh, so that basically just extended the height to 12 inches like a vinyl mm. record. Wow, I thought so it was basically a they, thing. So all these stores basically didn't have to buy all new fixtures. God, we were so cynical. I think I asked my parents, right. how come they come in there? I said, so people can't steal them. They're too small. <laughs> <laughs> 
So uh, going back to those other greatest hits real quick. Yep. Now, Billy Joel's greatest hits, volume one and two, is a bestseller in its own right. It's up there. If you count greatest hits, it, it cracks the top 20 uh, bestselling albums of all time. It's certified for 23 million in sales. Yeah, as of October 26, 2011. The only one we could find that beat it was the Eagles' greatest hits. The one with the blue cover, and if you have a good version of it, the eagle on it is a little raised. It's not just a flat cover. That was certified for 38 million as of August of 2018 and that was released in 1976 mm -hmm. and it sort of vies against Michael Jackson's yep. Thriller as the number one album of all time which has sold 33 million as of February of 2017 which was released in 82 yeah. and then the other one that I thought was really another iconic one was the Elton John Greatest Hits from 1974 that one sold 17 million and that was certified as of April 2016 and keep in mind when we're talking these album sales figures this is just the United States so right. we're not even talking worldwide yeah. here so we're also going to look at the two new ones on this album which were the night is still young and you're only human and then we're going to look at also you know what made this interesting was uh some radio edits and other alternate versions of songs that appeared on these not huge changes just little tweaks here oh. and there and well except for one particular glaring change that was made which we'll, we'll get into a little later the original one that came out in 1985 on vinyl across the board if there was a radio edit of the song they used it mm -hmm. and a lot of people were not happy about that because they like the album versions and I, right. I totally get that but at the same time this is a hits package so it's based on hit singles mm -hmm. and so these were the versions that you would have heard on the radio at the time I think it's it's you know it's sometimes worth mentioning uh, the difference between the greatest hits and best of album so usually the greatest hits would be yeah. chart topping records mm -hmm. whereas a best of could be based on critical acclaim fan favorites or the songs that uh, the artist or someone else thinks is most representative of their work regardless of album sales so this was, yeah, this was greatest hit. So this yeah. was, we would imagine based on, on album sales more than anything else. Yeah, I would agree. This is taken essentially directly from what charted. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. 
Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. But now you got a couple in your hand, speaking of. I think one was a remaster, yeah. but they're all vinyl, right? Yeah. The one I'm actually holding at the moment is uh, my... Uh, original copy from 85 it's actually in decent condition which is surprising because <laughs> i didn't start taking care of my record collection till i was much <laughs> much older everything's gray um the coloring is all gray on it and uh the back cover shows a very young billy i would probably place that photo somewhere between street life serenade and turnstiles my my second version of the original actually belonged to my aunt and uncle who had passed away. It's not sealed, but it's still in the shrink wrap. So it still has the hype sticker on it, what oh. they call, which is, you know, when you'd buy a CD and it'd have a big sticker mm-hmm. kind of selling you on what's special about, you know, this particular record. And so this one says, specially priced two record set, including Just the Way You Are, <laughs> Still Rock and Roll to Me, Piano Man, My Life, Tell Her About It, and 14 other Billy Joel classics. Hmm. Plus, two brand new, soon-to-be classics, You're Only Human, Second Wind, and The Night is Still Young. That's quite the hype sticker. Yeah. And that's the only pop of color at all. It's a silver sticker to match, but the uh, text on it is in red and blue. And I can't believe the price. This is actually really cheap for a two record set. The price sticker is still on it from Harmony House in Michigan for $9.99, which is incredibly cheap (laughs) for a record like this. Again, $20.33 in 2002. So, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Did you have like a remaster one there too? Just out of curiosity. The second vinyl version I have is... um, there's a company called Mobile Fidelity Cell Lab, mm-hmm. and they do a lot of great reissues of pop and rock stuff, right. largely from the 70s and 80s. But you mm-hmm. know, you'll see a lot of uh, newer stuff. I know they've done a lot of the Weezer catalog and whatnot. In 2016, they did a four LP remaster of the greatest hits. And this one, it's in a nice hard box here. And yeah, it's that original master recording in red up top. Um, so that's kind of the, the branding of Mobile Fidelity Sound Lab. But it's a really, really nice version. And this is all uh, from the original album versions as well. So this isn't radio edits right. here. But what's interesting is it's, it's split between four LPs. So you've got roughly four songs on each side. Yeah, I was looking at that. That's a whole box set. That's not even just a gatefold. Yeah, it's a nice yeah. thick box set with a, a nice booklet with all the lyrics and side and it's actually um numbered they only made three thousand of them so this one's number 287 and is that sealed oh no it's i see the Uh, opening at the bottom yeah so i actually have two of them because i'm you know (laughs) so i'm that guy yeah so this one's open which i've played a few times and then i've got one that's a lower number that uh is still sealed that's great i didn't even know about that version that's a nice find is there like a real discernible difference in the sound you know i haven't done a whole lot of a being between the two it feels a little richer and it feels a little bit more consistent from song to song to song mm-hmm. um, so the levels are a little more consistent that's a tricky thing too with greatest hits albums is you have all these songs from different records 
these songs are consistent level wise, you know, within that album. Album to album is a whole different ball game. Right. Things may be louder on this album or this album may be a little mastered a little quieter. Yeah. You run the risk when you just do a straight compilation of these audio levels being so all over the place. So mm-hmm. you really have to take and master all the tracks when you do a hits album like this. So everything is in line. I took the time to listen to my original, the original vinyl and the original CD versions recently. And I had listened to it in so long that I had kind of forgotten the sequence and forgot the different edited versions and things like that. I, I've, mm-hmm. I'm now so used to the full album versions that it was actually kind of fun to relive <laughs> the experience of going through this original track listing. Yeah, it's funny. I forgot that a couple songs from Innocent Man made it on this one. Uh, I thought it stopped after Nylon Curtain. The Innocent Man album is the one album that had overlap between uh, this one mm-hmm. and Greatest Hits Volume 3, which came out 12 years later in 97. Right. So this one did have three songs from An Innocent Man, Tell Her About It, Uptown Girl, and The Longest Time. The LP in the cassette says some original pressings omit Don't Ask Me Why and place Honesty After Big Shot, pushing You May Be Right to the Beginning of Side three i may have one of those i don't think i mean i don't even know if i still have the cassette anywhere but i don't think i had don't ask me why on this one i think i only had that when i had the uh glass houses cassette when i was a kid yeah when i read this it it surprised me because i'm the opposite my versions both have don't ask me why and you may be right as the last song on side two so that's the version i always knew i've actually never seen at least a vinyl version Mm -hmm. that has honesty in place of don't ask me why if anyone out there has a version with it send me a photo I'd love to see how it looks different on your version. Yeah, because I definitely had honesty too, because I always remembered that uh, the greatest hits album had the first three songs on 52nd Street and then nothing more. Because then I got 52nd Street on cassette. Yep. You rolled into Zanzibar and I was all excited to hear like the next song. You know, <laughs> Super curious. Until very recently, I never knew that that was a variant. Like the remastered CD version has honesty on there. I think it has both of them on there. But yeah, I never knew that there was any original like vinyl and cassette versions that had honesty. You know, you've had a different listening experience than I did of the same greatest hits album, so to speak. As you're looking at especially, I'm going to say Turnstiles, Glass Houses, and 52nd Street, I think really got underserved by this being a greatest hits and not a best of. Turnstiles is... Uh, the album itself is pretty underrepresented. Uh, there are people that, that would consider yeah. that over even The Stranger as his best album. I mean, you know, it's a matter of opinion, but it's certainly up there. Sure. Like yeah. Miami 2017, I think, is the glaring omission here. But I guess that wasn't Yeah, a yeah. It wasn't a single. It became a staple. And I think starting with like Songs in the Attic, it was such yeah. a powerful version. They did, you know, they did it on Saturday Night Live and all that. You know, at the time, Turnstiles and Street Life Serenade kind of came and went. Even Nylon Curtain, you know, all the greatest, you know, everything on the greatest hits from those albums are all from side one and yeah. you know there are some gems on the second sides of those albums that I think really got overlooked you know especially sort of in the history book so to yep. speak you know they didn't make greatest hits you know something like Rosalinda's Eyes or 52nd Street yeah I mean those are pretty strong songs in the catalog you know well we talk about sleeping with the television on uh, we talk about there it a few go. times now which is the big one which we all think is going to you know make a big comeback um, Nylon Curtain had surprises it had She's Right on Time had Scandinavian Skies and you know those all yep. kind of got lost in the shuffle once the greatest hits sort of put things on the record so to speak honestly when it comes to the nylon curtain i would have thought that she's right on time would have had a better chance of a single than good night saigon strictly because of good night saigon being like seven minutes long and it, but again you know that was fun. it was just all the stuff on side one i wonder if you know that's how albums were structured in part was it intentional that a lot of the singles were on side one yeah i i would say you know well 52nd street it really feels like he he stacked three singles first and then 
most of the songs after that were of odd length. Um, Zanzibar, I think, was a little long, but not significantly. Stiletto was kind of yeah. long, Until the Night was obviously very long. Rosalinda's Eyes, what was Rosalinda's Eyes? It's probably around, what, four minutes, I think? Yeah, it wasn't too long, but, right. you know, for radio at the time, a little bit, maybe. Yeah, and then obviously 52nd Street was, was too short, you know, that wasn't going to make it. Glass House is, you know, this, the first side was a lot more rocking than the second side, I would say. Yep. I think if you took maybe one of the songs on on side B and swapped it with Don't Ask Me Why, you would have like almost acoustic electric swap between the two sides. Sure. Take yeah. it close to the borderline or something. And on like. Greatest Hits, I'd say the album that's most represented, which makes sense, would be The Stranger. There yeah. are five songs from The Stranger on the original version of this. So I want to read a, uh, a review I found here. Well, I have two. Yeah. Uh, one's in one's in retrospect. One I I am I think came out around the time it came out. So the first one's by Robert Christgau, who's uh coined himself the dean of of American rock critics, who's written for the Village Voice, Esquire, Cream, Newsday, Playboy, Rolling Stone, Blender, NPR, Billboard, amongst you know many yeah. others. Uh, he's pretty seminal, and uh, he's not a big Billy fan. Um, and I'm not a huge fan of his, but you know what are you gonna do? <laughs> right, right. He uh he did give this one an A minus, and he writes. I give up. It would be as perverse to resist his razzle-dazzle as to pretend Led Zepp doesn't knock your socks off. Goes on yep. to to uh, compare him more to, says he's pure Tin Pan Alley, compares him a little to Dylan, John Lennon, Bruce Springsteen. The worst you can say about him is that half the time his aim isn't perfect, and the worst you can say about this album is that he baited it with two new misses. You know, I, you know the charts kind of said different because um, yeah. you know the two new ones were The Night Is Still Young and Second Wind. The Night is Still Young hit number 34 on the Billboard Top 100, 13 on the Hot Adult Contemporary. And Second Wind made it all the way to number two on the uh, Hot Adult Contemporary tracks, number nine on the Billboard Hot 100. So that cracked the top, the top 10, 10. yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty big, man. So, you know, and then The Night is Still Young, yeah. you know, that, that's had a little bit more of a, of a lifespan than Second Wind or You're Only Human. Uh, it reappeared mm-hmm. on 12 Gardens Live, so it kind of gave it a slightly new lease on life. And then uh, allmusic.com. You know, kind of runs through it real quick, but uh, it says, In short, Greatest Hits Volume 1 and 2 does its job perfectly encapsulating exactly why Billy Joel was one of the most popular singer-songwriters of the late 70s and early 80s. And it's worth noting that these recordings only span 12 years. Yeah, it's a double record of bona fide hits that's not a career retrospective. And no actual recordings from Cold Spring Harbor were on it. She's Got Away mm-hmm. was the songs in the attic version. Yeah. Yeah. So you're looking at 1973 to 85 and yeah, 12 years to have this many, like you said, bona fide hits and just complete classics. It's pretty unparalleled. Yeah. And we, along with, you know, Stephen Thomas Erlewine, which I don't know how to say his name, uh, from All Music are sitting here and we're arguing about what got left off. That's what's wild is there were songs that didn't even make the cut that could have easily been anywhere on this. Yeah. Now I want to get your opinion. Now this greatest hits set is chronological. It starts at, you know, Piano Man ends with The Night Is Still Young. Now I've seen a lot of greatest hits albums that are like that. I've also seen some that are just kind of all over the place as far as track listing goes. What do you prefer? I have always preferred chronological. I would often use greatest hits albums and live albums as a signpost to decide what album I was going to get next by an artist. You know, sometimes they're a bit of a bummer because, you know, some artists, you know, peak and then they they put out some great songs, but their later stuff isn't as good. And you get to the end of a greatest hits album and you're like, eh. But I I like the the, the sense that it's giving you like a career overview in that sense and not like a a recurated sort of um, revisionist history of what they did. I like I like hearing that 
ramp up in that peak to their career. And then, you know, even if there's a gradual decline, I appreciate it. Sure. Yeah. And it works especially well, I think here, you know, it does show you the growth and how his career Mm -hmm. and how the songwriting evolved. And so it it really illustrates that. Especially because each one of Billy's albums really had its own distinct tone and feel. It would have been really weird to mix those up. Like, could you imagine hearing something off Glass Houses and then jumping back to The Stranger? Like, it would be way too jarring. I think it would kind of take you out of it a little. And of course, you know, it ended, you know, I mean, this goes up to an innocent man. So he was still peaking at that point. So it's just all solid all the way through. There's not that like, oh, and there's a song they put out 18 years after their biggest album. And it was on the radio for a week and a half and that was it you know and you know i've seen some quote-unquote greatest hits albums where you know the artist is in dispute with the record company who put them out they'll re-record the song and as good as they may still sound recording an album to me is like lightning in a bottle you're never going to capture it just like that ever again no matter what you do right yeah, it's the it's the instruments you use. It's how old the strings or the drum heads were. It's what you know what microphones they had in the studio back then. It's what the temperature you know, was in the room. You know. Yeah, it's like what you had for dinner that day. Yeah, you know? yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's very true. You know, they would always there was always the stories that like you know they would always go for Chinese food while they were recording these records, and they would always get the best takes after they came back from having dinner. <laughs> yeah. If everything wasn't just so like that. And, you know, the age, you know, Billy was in his 20s, you know, during a lot of these records or in his early early 30s. So many different factors, you know, that you can you can just never replicate. Very true. So let's go through the uh, track listing. All right. First, we're going to do the double LP and cassette. So Mm -hmm. it was released initially on two records or a single cassette. For volume one, we've got side one, Piano Man, Say Goodbye to Hollywood, the live songs in the attic version. That's actually an interesting choice because otherwise it is totally chronological. Right. And then you had a uh, New York State of Mind with a different solo. Followed that up was The Stranger and Just the Way You Are, a radio edit of that. Side two, we've got Moving Out, Only the Good Die Young, She's Always a Woman, My Life, radio edit, Big Shot, radio edit, and You May Be Right. And then the second record continues with Glass Houses. It's got its Still rock and roll to me. Don't ask me why. Pressure. Radio edit. Allentown. Goodnight Saigon. Fourth side would be the radio edit of Tell Her About It. Then Uptown Girl. The Longest Time. You're Only Human. And The Night Is Still Young. You're Only Human, this is one that, uh, you know, even in the height of his fame, you know, really kind of harkened back to his youth in a way, you know, it's a kind of a suicide awareness song, and Billy had tried to commit suicide um, when he was in his early 20s. Um, And he talks about it every so often, but this is almost kind of like a PSA about it. I like that he's tackling something that's pretty serious while still kind of keeping it light, so to speak. Yeah. You know, cautioning against suicide, but at the same time, it's just a light reminder. It's like, hey, everyone goes through trouble. Everyone makes mistakes. Yeah. You'll get through it. I'll get through it. You know, it, it occurs to me now, um, you know, the anti-suicide aspect. I mean, it's kind of in the song, but it's really outlined explicitly sure. in the video where the guy's like on the bridge and he drops his wallet in the, in the water. Billy shows up and like just kind of talks. I'm kind of it's a it's a wonderful life sort of situation there. It, it was it was a pretty well done video where you know they they kind of went through everything without any dialogue and you, you knew it was going on and they were jumping around you know you know it, and you know maybe it didn't uh, fare that well over the years but I gotta say mm-hmm. you know when he, he throws out that line you know, I, sl- I I survived all those long lonely days when it seemed I did not have a friend. First of all, rhythmically it's kind of fun because it's got that three against two feel. Yep. But you know it's such an earworm just that one moment just the way he sings and he really pops it in there you know you got to wonder if uh at least one or two people didn't have that sort of bubble back 
to the surface in their mind at the moment when they needed to hear it. Yep. Like it just got stuck and came back out, you know? The way I think of it with things like that too is it's like if this song got one person to reconsider things and yeah. mission accomplished. I'm sure it helped many more, but if it helped one person, then I love it. That's great. And that was such a, it was such an honest damn line too. You know, the whole song is like kind of, so funny because I don't want to say the song is superficial because it's not. Sure. But it wasn't very detailed, it wasn't very descriptive, but he really drives it home with that one line where you feel like that was the moment he allowed himself to, to get a little introspective. You that's know what a I mean? little more that's a little line, more personal yeah. right there. Yeah. You're right. Didn't sound rhetorical. I think that's more the word I was looking yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. There's actually a funny screw up vocally on the tune that uh, made it into the recording near the end. Uh -huh. And when it comes back into the it's all right, it's all right. Mm -hmm. The line is sometimes that's all it takes, but yeah. he hesitates to go into it and he kind of slides into it and it's like he holds the S for a while. So <laughs> sometimes that's all it takes and he rushes into it <laughs> and then he laughs. That was totally unplanned. That was totally an off the cuff screw up that oh, yeah? they just kept. You know, he was like, all right, let's go back and do another take. And Phil Ramone was there, obviously, and Christy was there. And they're all like, well, you know, isn't that kind of part of what the song's all about? Making mistakes. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's, you know, it's very human of you. So it's, you know, it's not so glaring that it's it's going to ruin a verse or ruin a chorus. Mm -hmm. It's just a small little mistake. Why don't you leave it in? It gives it character. And so they did. Because it, it, it kind of fits. It's almost like that that the piano chord in the beginning of Roxanne was Sting sat on the piano. Right. And laughed about it. You know, it's so perfect. You can't believe it wasn't planned. To, he, to find out it was an actual mistake is pretty it's pretty funny I like it yeah and it just ties so well into the, into the theme yeah for sure it's alright it's alright sometimes that's all it takes we're only human we're supposed to make mistakes Now, what inspired you to write the song, You're Only Human, Second Wind? Um, I always wanted to write a song about making mistakes because I think making mistakes is a, is a big part of life. Everybody does it. Uh, I've made mistakes. I'm going to make more mistakes. And I really think they're the only original things that people do. Uh, I know I write a lot of songs by accident. A lot of times I can sit down. I know the right things to play, but I don't know the wrong things. And most of the songs I write are written by accident. They're written by mistake. I'll, I'll play an, uh, a major chord, and I'll play another chord, and then I'll, my finger will hit something by accident, and I'll go, hey, what was that? You know, I like that. And it's like, you know, people can teach you to do things correctly, but only you can royally screw it up, you know? <laughs> and that's what makes everybody unique. And that was the impetus to write the song. Now, at one time in my life, I was suicidal. I did try to do myself in. It was a really tough time of life and I think at that particular age I was about 19 20 it's just a tough time and uh, I think it's tougher now for for people going through that age than it was when, when I was that age and I just I always wanted to write a song about that particular thing too about you know give yourself a chance and you know you're gonna recover from these things and it's good and it's human to make mistakes and you can learn from them. you can be a better person and uh, and I didn't want it to be a downer I didn't want it to be a oh I thought about committing suicide, and if somebody's on the edge and they hear they heard a song like that, they might decide to jump by hearing that. So you made it funky. Mm. I tried to, you know, it's, let's make this thing uplifting and hopeful and fun. This is one story I read about this: is that you made a mistake during the song, right? 
Yeah, coming out of the verses, goes, sometimes that's all it takes. And it was a serious mistake, and I came back in the studio. I said, no, 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 i got to fix that. And Christy was there, Paul Simon was there, Jim Boyer, my engineer, was there. he liked it. They all liked it. They said, well, you know, why don't you leave that in? And, and I said, no, no, it's a screw-up. And, and Paul Simon goes, well, I kind of like Christy's. It's cute. I like that. It, you know, it says what the song says. You're allowed to make mistakes. Right. And I said, well, okay, yeah, right. It does reinforce <laughs> the thing. You're allowed to make mistakes. It made a lot of sense when right. it came down to it. And um, the next one here is The Night is Still Young. I like this one. Um, I, you know, I remember when I was a kid, I couldn't, I couldn't get a, a, a handle on what he was talking about. And I recently read um, Fred Scher's uh, biography of Billy Joel. Yeah. You know, and he talks about a lot about how, um, you know, at that time, you know, Billy really wanted to settle down and things like that. And then so, you know, it adds a lot of weight to lines like, you know, I can see the time coming when I'm going to throw my suitcase out. Yeah. Yes. You know, little things like that. You know, we, we spoke to, and I think maybe the second episode, about Vienna and how, you know, it's such an old soul kind of song that he wrote when he was young. And yep. uh, then you, you wonder, okay, so what does an old soul write about when he starts getting older? Sure. And the answer is A Night Is Still Young. And it's such an interesting song because, you know, as a kid, you right. know, I figured like he was in the courtship phase, right. as most love songs yeah. Uh, fit you um, yeah. you know find out and it makes a lot more sense that this was written you know after the courtship phase in the, in the, the sort of building part you know of the relationship after the honeymoon looking to the future wears off like uh, only Billy Bragg one of my other favorite songwriters is one of the only ones that tackles that mature aspect you yeah. know so well and this is one that really does that too yeah yeah I'm with you there and you know the, the album before it was An Innocent Man which was you know a throwback to the 50s and 60s soul Motown yeah. doo-wop and all that kind of stuff and so it was a concept album in that way that it was stylistically geared towards that you really weren't getting as big a peek into Billy right. personally on that album so you had a couple of years that have gone by and now suddenly you have a 35 year old Billy Joel who is now looking towards the future of his life yeah. and, you know, his marriage and his family and getting tired of being on the road all the time. And so this was like the first real glimpse of, you know, him looking to the future and what he wanted his life to be. Now, we want to get to the other new song that you put in the Greatest Hits collection. Okay, it's called The Night Is Still Young. Yeah, this is gorgeous the, song. Yeah, this is the last song I wrote. It's my favorite song at this point. Um, there's two voices on this track, and I don't know if you can hear them. There's a high voice and a low voice. I tried a couple of different ways to sing this song, and I got this idea in a, in a dream to do the two different voices because the higher voice is supposed to represent the younger guy, and the lower voice is supposed to represent the older guy. And uh, I came in to Phil, I said, just trust me on this, and I sang the higher voice. And he kind of looked at me and went, yeah. <laughs> so, and then I went, no, trust me. And then I sang the lower voice and he went, I got it. Is this a personal song? Uh, yeah, I, there's no way around uh, around that. That's a personal song. I, I, was, I was writing um, new songs for this album and I was in my garage. I'm back to being a garage band again, by the way. There was nowhere else I could get to play. And I moved some equipment in my garage. I said, how, you know, how do I feel right now? I'm 36 years old and... Uh, I identify with people my own age. I'm a baby boomer. And I, I uh, said, well, I'm young enough to still see the, you know, the passionate kind of boy I used to be. Because I still feel a lot of that. But on the other hand, you get to this age and you think, about, well, I can see the, I can see down the road. 
And uh, the rest of the song wrote itself after that. It just was one of those quick writing songs, which I really like. They tend to write themselves, and usually the better song. And apparently there's dolphins in the video for some odd reason we could never figure out because it was the 80s. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I just chalk it up to 80s video, and it's like, yeah, some of these things, I, I, I'm... <laughs> It's it's just a running theme in most 80s videos. I'm like, yeah, okay, there's a dolphin there. If we don't use this last $10,000 of our budget, they won't give us for the next one. Quick. Right, exactly. <laughs> yep. Call the dolphin guy again. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. One guy just pitching dolphins to MTV all the time. <laughs> yeah, I got a dolphin guy, you know? You don't got a dolphin guy? I got a dolphin guy. I got guy. a dolphin guy, yeah. <laughs> I remember the one thing about the video, the end part where the two of them, the man and the woman in the video, are yeah. embracing, and the camera is like, feels like it's spinning <laughs> at light speed around them. It's so yeah. dizzying. I always liked that effect. I was a sucker for that sort of bittersweet sentimental stuff, but I got a kick out of that. <laughs> yeah. I will say it does come at a good point in the video. It's a nice kind of crescendo, <laughs> and there's the resolve of the two of them together, and it did make for a good moment for sure. Billy's appearances in the video are interesting, how they cast him. I do like a few of the spots, you know, like the one I remember where he's shining a light at an open door and it looks like a guy with a guitar and then it just mm -hmm. sweeps up and disappears. <laughs> like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> and then he's a kid and he's showing himself how to play the piano, like how to find middle C. I'm kind of torn on what I think that means. Like, I've, is it him teaching himself or is it like, say him teaching a son how to play piano? So it's like yeah. passing it on to the future generation. I didn't quite land any specific spot with that, but I didn't mind that so much. Oh, it was, it was a nice visual, certainly. Yeah. I mean, where, you know, where You're Only Human was, was nice, the uh, video wise was pretty uh it was narrative driven and it was linear and it all made sense this was like all right we have four different themes going into a, <laughs> to right. a three and a half minute pop song and yeah dolphins, and we're gonna get this all to work <laughs> yeah because then you have the guy with the suitcase like trying to hitch a ride from the truck which billy right. is driving and it's billy it's billy's draw <laughs> the stubble going yeah. on and he's driving the truck but he's gonna make the guy work for it so he like speeds up and makes him like book it to the truck and barely make it on I, I didn't understand that and then he's in one more scene there's the slow motion scene of the factory workers walking out of the oh, factory yeah. right. he's in the crowd of factory workers was he the stagehand that pulls the curtain yes that's him i think he's wearing like the newsboy cap yeah yep. yeah yeah yep see that's another like <laughs> random five stories going on at the same time like the more you yeah. bring this stuff up i'm like yeah there's a lot going on in this video and so the two CD release of it has a different track listing again. Disc one, like the other release, starts off with Piano Man. First difference is you then get Captain Jack and the Entertainer. So now Street Life Serenade is also represented on this album. Say Goodbye to Hollywood, same live version from Songs in the Attic. New York State of Mind, The Stranger. Then we add in scenes from an Italian restaurant. We get the radio edit of Just the Way You Are. Moving out, Only the Good Die Young, and She's Always a Woman. And She's Always a Woman is an addition for our, for this version as well. Oh, that's I right, think. yeah. And then so for disc two, we've got My Life, the radio edit, the Big Shot, radio edit. And then we've got Honesty here for track three. Then you have You May Be Right, Still Rock and Roll to Me, Don't Ask Me Why, She's Got Away, Live from Songs in the Attic, the radio edit of Pressure, Allentown, Goodnight Saigon, Tell Her About It, radio edit, mm -hmm. Uptown Girl, the longest time, and then again closing out with "You're Only Human" and "The Night Is Still Young." So, and then in 2017, so the list I'm reading says 2017, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say this yeah. is 1998 as well, yeah. because in 1998 they remastered Billy's entire.
entire catalog. Including that was Greatest Hits Volume 1 and 2. And I don't have it handy, but if I'm not mistaken, this is the track listing for that as well from 98. So it looks pretty similar. I'm looking through it to see if I see any glaring differences. No, I don't see any. I think the only difference is that these use the full album versions as opposed to the radio edits. You're right, yeah. Say goodbye to Hollywood on the remastered version they revert to the turnstiles version instead of the songs in the attic version. Mm. So as a result of no longer using the radio edits, it's a each disc is a couple minutes longer, but that's just kind of where it sits. Right. So a couple weeks ago, while we were talking about the B-sides and rarities, we also went through the Greatest Hits albums and went through some of these different radio edits. We had a good discussion about that, so let's check that out now. This has a handful of songs here. Now, we were talking with radio. As Billy would say it, you know, if you want to have a hit, you got to make it fit. So they cut it down to 305. (laughs) Back in the 70s and 80s, they were all about cramming as many songs in as they could. So they would do some pretty drastic radio edits. And uh, Billy uh, got caught up in a lot of that. And there's quite a few songs here that we're going to go through that there were edits done to. Yeah. So the next one is Just The Way You Are. Now, I know the radio version is consistent considerably shorter but i honestly have not ab'd the two and i don't know what got cut out have you listened to it at all no to be honest with you probably should have but <laughs> yeah i'll have to go back and ab it this one as well just to kind of see what's what's different about it uh if any of you out there know specifics let let us know um you know, what, what you're finding where that one got the edit I really didn't notice a lot of the radio edits until we get to these next couple songs, especially the next one here, which is My Life. Yeah, yeah, this one was pretty jarring. They cut out the piano solo and it goes right from the, the vocal breakdown uh, right back into the chorus. Yeah, and that edit in particular is not clean because what's going on musically in the two sections that they cut together is very different. Mm-hmm. And so it's very abrupt when he goes back into the chorus after cutting out that piano solo. And it just, every time I hear that version of it, to me, that one edit in particular stands out. Did you ever be listening to a song on the radio and you think the chorus is coming up, but it's really not, but you can actually hear the chorus for a split second in your head <laughs> before you right. snap back to reality? Yeah. That's what it's like every time I hear that version. Like I just hear like an extra second of the piano solo before. I get refreshed and my mind updates. Yeah, and you know what it is? It's because like there's no breath because he clearly needs to take a breath. You know, oh, my time. I don't care. You know, it's just that's he exactly trails it. and then right. he's got like a full lung full of air to push out again. It's so, it's sense. not natural. And I know like the yeah. beginning of it, they cut off the intro considerably, and I think they cut a verse out like they do in a lot of these. So this one got pretty chopped up considerably. I mean, all of these, I prefer the studio versions, but I think My Life got the worst of the radio edit treatment, I think. And Big Shot is, uh, I know one thing they did quite a bit is they cut the ending. Which is a shame because it's got that great guitar solo going out. Yeah, and he's not credited, but I'm pretty confident it's David Brown. I think this was his first performance Mm -hmm. on a record with the band. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, if you go back and listen to like some of his guitar work, like on Live from Long Island, where he gets to stretch out a little bit Mm -hmm. and listen to him play Big Shot on Live from Long Island. You really hear the similarity, I think. So I'm pretty sure that's David on there. But yeah, they really cut out that solo drastically on the radio version, which is a shame. Sing about a Hollywood. That's a funny one. That's tripped me up before we did that in the band. And uh, we had to go back and figure out why the hell everybody was like on the wrong page. 
on stage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somebody's going to a different part and we had to like kind of do a forensics and we're like, okay, okay, use this version, this particular recording that I am sending you. Don't go on YouTube. You're going to find something different. It's yep. going to trip you up. <laughs> the version you use has got to be X minutes long. That's an interesting way to discover that it's off. Um, <laughs> the one thing that I didn't like that they edited was the great ending. They just faded yeah. it out on the on yeah. the live version, I think. Yeah, it's got a really nice uh, little nice saxophone line, little change in the chords, just enough to give it a, a really nice ending. And yeah, it does fade out on the radio edit, but on Songs in the Attic, it, it hits that ending. Yeah, and you know, I love, yeah. you know, we've talked about it before, how Richie just had just such a knack right. for pushing the tone of that saxophone, mm-hmm. just adding just a little bit of that edge and that rawness to it while controlling it so perfectly. This live version of Say Goodbye Like Hollywood is amazing. Yeah. The songs that fade out on studio albums you know like that becomes the version of the song so when a band is prepping these songs live yeah. they got to figure out how they're going to end them it's yeah. like we can't do a fade out during a show <laughs> so you know they, they have to kind of put together how they're going to come out of these songs and yeah. what they did with say goodbye to hollywood it's simple but it works so well and they yeah. yeah they just faded that right out and lopped it off of the, the radio edit yeah they do a similar ending on summer highland falls on the which is the second song on the songs in the attic and same, same kind of thing they just kind of wrap it up really nicely yeah pressure uh gets sort of the same treatment as my life although not quite as bad they just cut out one of the bridges yeah the pressure it's a damn shame man because i love the b section on this one man mm-hmm. and you know what it is because and just apropos to the song he's so mocking he's so menacing on those parts you know it's such a schizophrenic song yep. you know that sense of he's like it's pushing at the, at the character and then it's just mocking him. Oh, yeah, life. Yep. I love it. I love that so much. Yep. Yeah, it's just such a great effect, and it's such a great melodic piece, and it's just a shame they cut out one of them, and they go right to that um, really choppy, in a good way, but the real staccato, I would, I would then say, uh, synth part. Yeah, that synth solo um, there, yeah. And it, yeah, it loses a little bit of the impact, that part, because coming out of the most elongated, breathy, airy kind of part of it, just to contract so suddenly into that part is great, so... It does lose a bit of impact there, for sure. Not as jarring in a technical sense as my life, but you lose a lot. It's a shame. And then the last one of the radio edits that I was able to find was Tell Her About It. I had to do some serious YouTube searching to find a shorter version than the album version, because apparently it's not too easy to track down. But so far, the only discernible difference I have been able to figure out with Tell Her About It is the ending. Mm. Basically, coming out of the last chorus, they just jump to much later in the outro, because the outro kind of goes on for a little while right but they cut off like 10 seconds 20 seconds something and they just jump way further ahead yeah and i think that's one of those two where you can if you're listening for it you can tell because there's a jump in intensity yep um you know like if you've been vamping on those teller about us or something like that you know you grow in intensity and when you chop off the beginning of them it gets there too know, quick right exactly yeah you know now that we say it uh, we'll, we'll have to go back that may be the version they use on the yeah. video too because in the video he's like walking off stage and he's doing it. And I oh, think you're right. Yeah, jump. they duck it you out know pretty why? quick. Because it goes to Sputnik it, 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 when they're in yep. space. And it makes sense because the, the, the volume drops out a little. They're supposed to be watching from space and the two cosmonauts are, are waving. And, then it, and then it goes very, back. Yes. So that's our uh, review of Greatest Hits Volumes 1 and 2. Once again, uh, it's surprisingly a lot to unpack for a Greatest Hits record. Yeah. But it is one of the best-selling records of all time. It's something that I think a lot of us all grew up with. And so there's a lot of memories that come with it. And there's, of course, a lot of great songs on it. Yeah, you are right about that. It's been a lot of fun to revisit this. 
I haven't listened to the Greatest Hits album in a while because I'm typically an album, a full album guy, but I lived with this Greatest Hits record for many, many years after it came out. I never realized how familiar I was with the sequencing and the radio edits until going back. It was just jogging so many memories. It was really wild to hear it again and kind of get familiar with how this was all put together. So reach out to us, uh, give us an email, get in touch with us on any socials. Let us know which version you had. Let us know your memories of uh, listening to it. If you go back and listen to it, if you notice anything like the radio edits, things like that, that you didn't realize were there before. Yeah, shoot us an email over at glasshousespodcast at gmail.com. And we are all over all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just search Glasshouses Billy Joel Podcast and you'll find us there. And we'll see you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.